0: For many of us, this has been a week of celebration and of food. Thanksgiving is a, a great time uh, for that. I, I love the celebration of Thanksgiving because it is a, a week, a, a season to remember uh, the great things that we have in our lives, to, to be thankful and to uh, remember the good things that God has done for us and pr- to praise Him for those things. And it is the time when uh, we can uh, get together with family and when we can eat a lot of food, really good food. And it's, it's intriguing to me that um, food is so closely tied with celebration that when, when you are celebrating, it is appropriate to indulge in vast quantities of really rich food, that, that this is a, a way of celebrating, that we, we have this, this food and we say, okay, I, I need food just on a, in a general way, right? I have to eat. Every day I have to eat, that nourishes my body, it fuels me for the activities of the day, just eating. We do that every day, but when we are celebrating, it goes beyond that. Now, it's not merely that I am eating to fuel my body so that I may do something, but rather I am indulging and and delighting in the food, right? I could eat broccoli and uh, bread, and that would get me through for the day, and I could sustain myself on that. But, but when we say it's celebration, now we're going to uh, make more food, we're going to spend more time, we're going to uh, put more energy into it so that there is a huge quantity of it and we can have pies and we can have turkey and we can have mashed potatoes and we can have gravy and we can eat all of these things and delight and say this is part of our celebration that eating is part of the celebration. It's, it's so tied to those things. I, I, I think of, of eating as being a physical thing, and I think of physical things being separate from emotional or spiritual things, but, but when I think about it, I recognize that they're actually quite tied together, right? That they are tied together, the, the food and the spirit and the, my emotional, mental, uh, well being is it's all tied together. God could have made us any number of ways. He could have made us to be solar powered like the plants, right? So that we wouldn't have a need to eat, but He didn't. He made us to have this need and He, he made us to be uh, filled by that need and then nourished by that, that food. And then when we are full, there is a contentedness right? Some of you went past contentedness this week, I think. But when we are full, there's a contentedness, and I feel, ah, life is good. I feel full. My, my senses were delighted in this food, in the smells, and in the tastes, and the whole experience, the, the fellowship with other people over the food. All of those things together are part of the celebration, and it's a, a spiritual act, to feast in in celebration of the good things that God has provided for us and to be thankful for those things. In the same way though, there is the other side, which is fasting. Right? That that the emptiness of our stomachs reminds us of our need or our lack of ability or our lack of energy. It's it's the the opposite end of the spectrum that I find myself, you you may find yourself when you're really happy and you're like, oh, I just want to eat something really good and I'm going to delight in that. And then there are other times when you feel like, I just can't even eat right now. I'm just so struggling. I'm so mourning the loss of someone or something. I'm having such a hard time that I just don't even feel like I can eat. And the emptiness of our stomachs mirrors and matches the empty feeling that we have emotionally and and, uh, spiritually. And the the reason that I highlight that and say that is because that's the thing that Jesus is teaching about this week. He's teaching his disciples about fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 16, it says this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that we are uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount right now, which is Jesus sitting down on this mountain and talking with his disciples, teaching his disciples and explaining to them what the kingdom of heaven is like in preparation for its coming. And he's explaining this is what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven. And you may recall just a couple of weeks ago that he was teaching his disciples about giving and about praying. And he was saying, don't do that in a really public way. Don't do that so that you can be seen by others. When you give, when you give, don't, do, don't go handing stuff out to the poor and trumpeting it, right? Hey, everyone, look at the great gifts I am giving because I am such a great, generous person, right? It, when you do that, you're doing that for people and not for God. You're doing it for the benefit of the praises of people that you will receive. Wow, he really is a great and generous person. So don't, don't do that. In the same way, when you're praying, don't stand on the street corners and pray out loud so that everyone might hear what a great orator you are in your prayers. Oh, wow, he is really spiritual. Wow, he must be so holy. Listen to the way that he prays. Look at the way that he prays. He must be a very spiritual person. Don't don't do it for the, the applause of people, but do it for your Father who sees in heaven do it privately, do it for, for him. And then because he had been talking about prayer, then he, he did a little aside and, and gave us the Lord's Prayer and said, this then is how you should pray. Not like those other ways, this is how you should pray. You should pray to your Father who is in heaven, and then hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Right? He he teaches us this is how we are to pray, and then he comes back around now to another, um, not displaying your spirituality for men, but rather in private. Right? So he this is this is now. Um, Uh, the third point that he made he'd made an aside about prayer but he's now making his third point about uh, doing things in private and and having your focus be on the spiritual aspect of what you're doing rather than looking at it for the praises of men and this time what he's looking at is uh, in addition to giving and praying is now fasting and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. When, when you're fasting, he says, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Don't, don't do it in such a way that, that your, your cheeks look really sunken in and you just look really unhappy and depressed. And, wow, what's wrong with you? Well, I'm fasting right now. Uh, it's just, a, it's really hard to fast like this, and so, I, but we all have our cross to bear, and I'm, I'm bearing mine right now. I'm just, I'm just struggling because of the religious, um, spiritual um, fast that I'm doing right now. I'm just that kind of a person, and it's hard, but I can, I'm, I'm managing. He says, don't, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites who are putting on a face and, and, and doing it so that others might see, but, but fast for your Father who is in heaven. Now, I think we need to take a step back and talk a little bit just about fasting in general, right? Because when he says, and when you fast, the assumption is you're probably fasting, you're doing this on a, on a regular basis, probably. And I, I think that this was an assumption Jesus made for the people that he was talking to at that time, but I don't make that same assumption thinking that necessarily everybody is fasting on a regular basis. And so I wanted to um, do a little bit more of a deep dive and say, what, what is this fasting thing? Why do we do it? And partly I wanted to do that because I wanted to do it for me. I, I didn't really hadn't really thought a lot about fasting before. And so I started digging through the scriptures and going, what, "What is this fasting all about? Why do we do it? Where does it come from? And the first place that you'll see fasting in the scriptures is in Leviticus, as, as Jesus is talking, about, uh, not Jesus, as God, through Moses, is talking about the day of Atonement. As you're celebrating the Day of Atonement, there was a fast that was associated with that. And the Day of Atonement was a a recognizing that we have sin and that sin needs to be dealt with. And so there was going to be a sacrifice to pay for the debt of the sin and that we would be cleansed from that. And and, and in association with the recognition that we have this spiritual need of being forgiven because we are sinful people, then there would be this fast associated with this. It's it's a, a mourning the sin that we are doing or have been doing. And he says, okay, you're going to fast along with the Day of Atonement. You're going to, to fast for that. Then there were other fasts that were more sort of uh, spontaneous fasts, right? Somebody that was having a really hard time struggling with something, maybe they were mourning something, or a really difficult um, event was happening or occurrence was, was happening in their lives, and so they would fast and, uh, along with that. And here, here's an example, Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, verse 10, it says, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made my sackcloth for clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards made songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. The psalmist says, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. I I humbled myself in fasting. He he talks about it in in the terms of of mourning too, right? He puts on, on the sackcloth, he puts on sackcloth for, for clothing, and, and when, when somebody was really sad, when somebody was dealing with the death of someone in their lives, they would, they would mourn, and they'd say, I have lost something, and they may fast in association with that mourning, and here he's saying, I am mourning because I am humbling myself before you, God, I need you, I need you. And here's what I love about this, the way that he talks about this, is he says, I humbled my soul with fasting, and it became my reproach. But as for me, this is verse 13, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. What's interesting to me about this is this is the exact same thing as we do when we celebrate Thanksgiving, on the other side. So when we celebrate Thanksgiving, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in the abundance of the gifts that we see that he has given to us. And so we are feasting and celebrating and saying, God, we know that you have provided above and beyond all of our needs. You have a provided so abundantly that we can feast and celebrate and just delight in all of the great gifts that you have given to us. But what happens when you're not feeling that way? What happens when you're not feeling like God has just dumped the blessings on you? We still need to be reminded of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And so he says, I am now fasting and humbling myself in order to remember, God, that you are still good. I am not feeling full right now. I am not feeling like you have overfilled me right now. I am feeling empty. I am feeling Empty, like God, you just haven't, but I remember your character. I remember that you are a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. I remember that you will provide for me and protect me and take care of me and provide for all of my needs. And because I am not feeling that right now, because I am feeling empty right now, then my whole body is going to match that. And I am going to humble myself before you. And the emptiness of my stomach is going to remind me of my need. For you, and that your character is such that you will provide for me. I don't care what anybody thinks that's looking at this, right? That's what he says. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. People saw it and they made fun of him. When I made my sackcloth for clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. My prayer is to you. I am humbling myself before you, God. I'm humbling myself before you to remind me of my need and to align with my spiritual and emotional state. My physical state is matching that right now and everything about me is reminding me of my great need for you. And so, God, I am begging you I'm begging you, would you fill me? Would you fill me? I need you. And I know that you are a steadfast, faithful, loving God. And I'm depending on that right now in my need. Similarly in Joel, as as the people have been sinning and, and running away from God, the Lord speaks through the prophet Joel to his people. And he says in, in Joel 2 verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Again, this God is telling them, look, you are in your pride and arrogance running away from me into sin. You are running in your arrogance in sin and going, I don't need the Lord. I've got plenty. I've got all that I need. I can take care of myself. I don't need that. I'm just going to enjoy these things over here that have nothing to do with God. And the Lord says, look, judgment is coming on your sin, but... If you recognize your sin, if you repent of your sin, if even now you would humble yourself and return to me, I will relent on the judgment. I will relent on the judgment. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster again, tied to the very character of God, the nature of God, His steadfast love and faithfulness, the way that He is gracious and merciful. When we fast, it reminds us of that. It takes us out of the feeling like we don't need anything and puts us into a physical state where we recognize and remember, I can't do this on my own. I am dependent on God. I need him. In particular, when we're talking about sin, right? There are, are times in the scriptures where somebody just recognizes their sin and they go, oh, I can't believe that I have been doing this, that I have been so foolish as to sin against God and to run away from him in rebellion. And they, they repent and ask for his forgiveness and there are other times that the consequences of their sin is made aware to them, that their, their sin comes, we, uh, I'm thinking specifically right now of David, right? David, David sins with Bathsheba, many of you know that story, and uh, Bathsheba gets pregnant, and so David goes, whoops, uh, you know, we'll just have your husband killed, and then you can become my wife, and then we won't have a problem anymore, except that the Lord thought there was still a problem with that. He thought that was probably not the best way of handling that, to continue to sin more to try and cover up the sins that you've done before. That's that's not a great way of dealing with things. And so he says to David, look, because of this, I'm going to take the life of the child. And David recognizes the consequences of his sins, and he fasts and prays for days while that child is sick. And he goes, I'm so sorry. He's repenting of his sin. He's humbling himself before the Lord. And he's fasting in association with that repentance. As it happens for, for David, the child dies anyway. And David says, okay. And got up and ate. And his servants went, what are you doing? You fasted while the kid was alive, but now that the kid is dead, now you're eating? And he said, look, I... I was fasting and humbling myself before the Lord and asking that he might relent and he chose not to relent. It's too late for the Lord to relent on that now. I'm not going to live in that state. I still serve a good God who is faithful to me. It puts us, the fasting puts us in a physical state that aligns with our spiritual state. Sometimes uh, there's a, a regular fast that would happen. A regular fast that would happen like the Day of Atonement, and there were others that other times that people would would fast, and they would do that as a discipline, as a way of reminding themselves of their need. We as a church will do that once a month. On the first Wednesday of every month, which is coming up this coming Wednesday, we fast. We fast and we pray as a church, and we do that as a way of reminding ourselves that we need God we need him. But when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's saying, but when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So he has this assumption that fasting happens and that fasting happens so that we are physically aligning ourselves with a posture of humility and neediness, right? That we are are empty of stomach to align ourselves with the, the feeling that we need God, that we need Him. But there were those who were fasting not for the sake of aligning with their spiritual need for God, but rather because other people were fasting, and they saw that, and they went, oh, that's what holy people do. Holy people fast. I would like to be a holy person. I would like to be seen as a holy person, and so I will fast too. But because it wasn't to align themselves with the need that they have for God and a petition to God for answering their needs, instead they said, well, I'm just sort of doing this for everyone else. And if my reason for fasting is so that others might know how holy I am, it doesn't make any sense for me to do that in private. Right? I don't want to do that like on a, on a Wednesday or something when I'm not going to be seeing a lot of other people. I want to do that on a day when I'm going to be seeing a lot of people. And they might not know that I'm fasting. I mean, if I got up and I showered and put on my clothes like a normal day and I just didn't eat... Um, they might not know that I was fasting and that I was holy. And so, th- then what I should probably do is um, not shower today so that I look a little bit more disheveled. And um, then I could, um, well, I could just let people know that I'm really hungry. Oh, I'm really hungry. Oh, you should have something to eat. Yeah, I can't. I'm fasting. In in fact, when he talks about it here, he he says, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I don't know if they were like putting on makeup to make their cheeks look more sunken in or if it was just that they were were, um, putting on a really mopey kind of face so that others would see that I'm just really having a hard day. You know, that, that people would, would look at them, but they were somehow disfiguring their faces so that their fasting would be seen by others. And he's going, don't do that. Don't do that. You, you compl- completely miss the point when you do that. For I tell you, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They've received their reward. If you're disfiguring your face, if you're fasting so that other people will know and say, oh wow, he's really holy, He he must be very religious because he's fasting, then they will say those things and that's your reward. Congratulations, you got it. But you can see how that completely misses the point of fasting. If fasting is to align ourselves with an understanding of our need for God, then the praises of people don't factor into that anywhere. And so he's saying you instead need to uh, focus your your fasting on God. And in fact, this is not the first time that people had fasted in a religious way apart from aligning themselves with focusing on God. In Isaiah chapter fifty-eight, this is going to be a little bit long, but I want to read it for you anyway. In Isaiah fifty-eight verse one, it says, "Cry aloud." Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So, let people know. He's, they're, they're supposed to tell God's people that they are sinful. Remind them of their sins. Yet, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near. They say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? So they're asking God, oh, hey, hey, God, we fasted. Why didn't you pay any attention to that? Hey, God, God, we were fasting. Why didn't you answer our prayers? Don't you know how this is supposed to work, God? God, We fast, we pray, we ask you for something, and because we fasted, you know we really meant it, and then you give us what we need. That's how this is supposed to work. How come you're not listening to our prayers? How come you're not paying attention to our fastings, God? Come on, man. You know how this works. We fast, you answer. Let's go. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold... and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast instead that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from, his, not to hide yourself from your own flesh." Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rearguard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he shall say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. He says, look, you're saying that you're humbling yourself and you're saying that you're fasting And you're saying that you're coming to me and delighting in me, but you do that all while hitting other people, all while torturing other people, all while oppressing other people, all while taking from them. You ask for me to provide for your needs, and then you go steal from someone else. You oppress them and cause them all kinds of hardship. Why should I take care of you when you are taking advantage of others? Should not, if you want me to be merciful with you, if you want your fasting to be accepted, should not you also be taking care of the needs of those around you? Should not you also be merciful when you're asking me for mercy? Shouldn't you be aligned spiritually with the posture that you are taking physically and not be selfishly thinking that you are going to somehow coerce me into giving you things by fasting that's not how this works that's not how this works i want you to truly fast i want you to truly focus I want you to truly need me, depend on me. And then as you are asking for my mercy, that you then would turn around and be merciful in the same way. I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be my people, like me. Similarly, in Zechariah chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 2, but I I want you to pay attention starting in verse 4. He says, Now the people of Bethel had sent uh, Sherezer and Regemelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord. And they said to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should we weep and abstain in the fifth month as we have done for so many years? Should we weep and fast on a regular basis like we have done for so many years? Then verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Thus says the Lord, this is now verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Do you want me to hear you? Do you want me to pay attention to you? Then don't just fast. Don't just fast for your own sakes, but fast in a repentant, humble way. Humble yourself, truly humble yourself before me. And when you do that, here are the things that you will do. You will render true judgments and show kindness and mercy to others. You will not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Now, I couldn't figure out for the longest time how come we had this insertion. As Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching and he says, um, don't give publicly, but give privately so that it's in service to the Lord and not for the praises of men. And pray privately rather than publicly so that it's in service to the Lord and not in praises to men. And then why don't we just then have the third one before he gets into talking about prayer? Why do we have this aside where he talks about praying and this then is how you should pray? But he does. He does pause right there. He does pause and includes the Lord's prayer there And after he includes the Lord's Prayer, where uh, these words are part of it, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you might remember that. Then he finishes with these words. Now I have to find them. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And then he gets into fasting. And the similarity between that. And what we just heard in Isaiah and Zechariah, where God was saying, look, don't just humble yourself and then oppress people, asking me and saying, I am in need, would you meet my needs? And then taking from others rather than helping to meet their needs. In the same way, he now is talking in Matthew chapter 6 and saying, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Therefore, if you fast, and suddenly I see the connection between the one and the other, this fasting, this this posture of humility where I say, God, I am repenting of my sin, and I need your mercy and your forgiveness, and he says, then shouldn't you also be merciful and forgiving to those who are indebted to you, to those who have wronged you? Shouldn't you also be forgiving and merciful to them? Or are you just trying to fast so that I would do this? Are you just trying to be religiously righteous so that you might coerce me into being merciful to you? No. Don't do your fasting before men. Don't do your fasting to try and coerce me, but rather have your fasting be aligned with the spiritual posture of your humility where you recognize your need for me and my mercy and also you are in the same way extending that mercy and forgiveness to others. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And then your Father who is in secret will reward you. Do you think that it has to be an outward display in order for God to see? It doesn't. God sees the secret intentions of the heart. God sees that which we do privately. We don't have to do it outwardly for all to see. And so he says... Go ahead and fast. Have a a, a humble posture and do have the physical match and enable you to be in a position where you say, I am in need of you, God. But you don't need everybody else to know that. Wash your face. Have a normal day. A hungry day, but a normal day. And in private, in your heart, where your Father sees you, That is where you know, right? The hunger, the emptiness of your stomach reminding you, I need God. I need you, Lord. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your provision. I need you. And it's a prompt to pray. Those hunger pangs are a prompt to pray and a reminder that all of our provision comes from him. And it is a reminder to pray and depend on him. It is a helpful thing, whether we fast spontaneously because of a great need and because we are feeling it, like, I just, I have to fast right now because this is so overwhelming. Or whether as a discipline we are fasting to remind ourselves of our need for him. We do it so that we can put ourselves in a humble posture and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And so this coming week on Wednesday, it is the first Wednesday of the month, and we will, as a church, have a fast. And I would encourage you, whether it's for a meal on Wednesday or for the whole day on Wednesday, that you would take some time to fast. And when you do that, that you would then repent of your sin, putting yourself in a a humble posture and say, God, I I need you. Spiritually, I need you. And so you'd put yourself in that posture of humility and say, God, I, I need your forgiveness. And then having received the forgiveness of our steadfast, loving, faithful Father in heaven, that you might then request and say, God, these are the things that we are asking you for. And one of the things that we are asking God for is um, for the budget and elections meeting this week. And when I am looking uh, in Acts chapter 14, Paul and others are Um, planting churches, and here's what it says in in Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. One of the few examples that we have of of a time of petition for God that is associated with fasting is with the um, appointing of church leadership. And so it seems to me to be appropriate that Of the things that you may pray about on Wednesday, one of them that I would love for you to pray about is for the appointing of church leadership uh, this coming Sunday. When we will have our budget and elections meeting and and, uh, we will approve the budget and the ministry that we expect to do uh, in the year to come and also we'll approve the new elders and, and leaders for the church, would you pray for them? Would you pray for them? There are many things that we need. This, this is a season that we have had um, thankfulness. This week has been a, a week of, of uh, celebration and thankfulness. This coming week then can be a week of prayer and petition and humility. And then we will be back into thankfulness again, I think as we are approaching Christmas. And, and so it is appropriate to do both, right? There are times for feasting and celebrating God's good gifts and the abundance of his gifts, and there's times for fasting and the humility, uh, the humbling of ourselves in requesting that he would meet our needs. And so uh, would you do that with me now as we go to him? Father, we ask that you would meet our needs Lord, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin to meet our greatest need. We recognize that that we cannot meet that need on our own, and we are dependent on his mercy. Lord, there are times when it seems that we have plenty and we celebrate with thankfulness. But we also recognize that all good gifts come from you. All of the provision that we have is supplied by you. And so we humble ourselves before you and we ask, would you continue to provide for our needs? Would you continue to be merciful and gracious and generous with us? And would you help us likewise to be merciful and gracious and generous with others? Lord, may we not be stingy as we see needs of those around us, but might we be uh, generous to help meet those needs. May we not take advantage of those who are around us to try and overfill ourselves, but Lord, uh, would we be generous and merciful? Lord, help us to As you forgive us, Lord, would you help us to forgive others that we might be merciful as you are merciful, that we might extend to them the same grace that we seek from you. And Lord, we ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.